0: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar, and premier sponsor QNB, Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at Qatar Economic Forum.com. <sighs>
1: I I wake up every morning thinking about that. Should I sell on Amazon? But the reality is Amazon owns 50% of the online market share in the United States. The customers are on Amazon. That's where they're at. And so was it a fantasy? Yeah, we would just leave Amazon and we'd be able to survive. But in reality, we'd basically lose the business.
2: Jason Boyce is an online retailer with nearly 20 years of experience. He runs a multi-million dollar business called Dazzity Inc., What he's describing here is the fundamental dilemma facing business owners who sell through Amazon.
3: Most of us have used Amazon to buy something at some point. A book, a phone charger, a pair of socks. So we know it's fast and cheap and can be unbelievably convenient.
2: If you're the customer, what we don't realize is the extent to which Amazon uses access to its hundreds of millions of customers as leverage to raise the bar on people like Jason pushing them to lower their prices, speed up delivery times, compete harder against other sellers for each and every sale.
3: Amazon is projected to sell $283 billion in merchandise this year. That's nearly half of all online spending in the U.S. Over the last few years, it took things a step further by launching its own line of Amazon-branded products. Now, lawmakers like Senator Elizabeth Warren are calling out Amazon for this behavior, saying it's anti-competitive.
0: My view on this is it's a little like baseball. You can be an umpire, a platform, or you can own teams. That's fine, but you can't be an umpire and own one of the teams that's in the game. So the principle here is break those apart, and you can work for the platform part, you can work for one of the teams, that's a lot of fun. But if you work for one of the teams, you compete like every other team in America.
3: By and large, businesses have scrambled to jump higher every time Amazon raised the bar. But privately, some sellers say they're being pushed to their limits. Not only is it insanely competitive to reach customers, but Jason and others like him are facing a competitor who's potentially unbeatable, and that's Amazon itself. That's a stark contrast to what CEO Jeff Bezos wrote in his annual letter to shareholders just two weeks ago, where he boasted about how well these businesses are doing. Perhaps it's a sign that Amazon knows it might be seen as pushing the limits of its power. I'm Brad Stone. And I'm Spencer Soper, and you're listening to Decrypted. Okay, Spencer, why don't you take it from here?
2: A few weeks ago, I flew to Las Vegas for a convention called The Prosper Show. Needing
0: extra time
3: and assistance down the jet bridge. As well
2: as it's like organized independently or from Amazon, but the whole point of this event is about selling things on Amazon. It attracts about 1,500 people. It's held at the Westgate Hotel, and even though these folks compete with each other on the platform, the vibe is really upbeat and friendly. Everyone's kind of sharing ideas and tricks of the trade. They want to know the best way to ship goods from China and what's the latest software to keep track of sales tax obligations.
3: The trade show floor, which is labeled here is the Paradise Event Center, just through those doors, through many of you, had breakfast this morning.
2: I find this is a great place for talking to people in Amazon land. It's where I connected with Jason Boyce, who you heard from at the start. He's a Marine Corps officer who turned an online entrepreneur. He recently moved to New Jersey. He's a pretty unassuming and relaxed guy, kinda of reminds me of a high school principal. We sat down at a table outside the hotel, which just happened to be right beneath the airport's flight path. Okay. Well, Right Right under the airport. airport. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It should be be okay, though. Okay. Um, Jason's in business with his uh, brothers. They've been selling online since 2002. This was before Amazon was the big player it is today. So he's really seen this space evolve from its early days. They started out selling basketball hoops. This is a tough thing for online sales. You know, big, heavy outdoor equipment you see in backyards and driveways. Their website was called superduperhoops.com. And Jason's business
1: was really starting to take off. We did a hundred thousand in the first year, a million the next year, two million the next year. Life was good.
2: That was all basketball hoops.
1: All basketball hoops, basketball hoops, and then we started selling home wreck equipment like foosball, billiard tables, air hockey tables, those kinds of products as well.
2: In the early days, Jason would buy ad space on search engines that directed people to his website. Then, once someone made a purchase, he used a method called drop shipping. This means that he doesn't buy any inventory in advance. He waits for a customer order to come in, and then the manufacturer sends the basketball hoop straight to the customer. This is a low cost way to start a business because you don't have to buy a lot of inventory up front. Then, a couple years later, around 2004, one of Jason's brothers got a call from Amazon.
1: People are always floored when I tell them we actually got a phone call from Amazon asking us to sell our products on their website. And uh, we immediately jumped at the opportunity. And we, our hoops were selling on Amazon before Amazon themselves were selling basketball hoops. So it was right at the very early days of the sports and outdoors category.
2: So Jason's brother didn't think much of the call from Amazon. He even waited until the end of the day to tell the others. But when Jason heard, he thought, what? Amazon called? We have to do this. And so they did.
1: Business was good. There was like no competition. We were making really good margins. We didn't have to carry any inventory. It was all being drop shipped. And uh, life was really good. It was great. We loved Amazon back then.
2: (laughs) Jason's laughing because selling on Amazon has changed a lot in the past 15 years. We have to remember that he started in the dot-com boom, when there were all kinds of generic domain names like drugstore.com, soap.com, diapers.com. At this time, Amazon was trying to expand beyond books and movies. It needed sellers like Jason to lure more shoppers, because it wanted to be an online version of a big-box store like Walmart or Target. But the honeymoon of those early years didn't last forever.
1: We were lucky to be one of the first on there because we had a nice run of sales, but then because it was so easy, especially compared to eBay, Folks from eBay started coming over in droves and started listing. And really, at that time, their algorithm was very basic, one of the only ways you could get the sales if you had the lowest price. So what happens when there's 10 sellers selling the same thing, and the only way you can get the sales if you lower the price? The margins disappear.
2: What Jason's describing here was a big learning curve for a lot of Amazon sellers. If you're selling a generic product that a lot of other people can also get, you're going to face extreme price competition on Amazon. It's to the point where your business could be unsustainable, especially because within a few years, Amazon had millions of businesses selling on the platform. So in order to survive, Jason and a lot of other sellers, they started designing their own unique products that no one else had. Folks in the business call this private label, and Jason's private label brand is called Harvel. Is the brand all basketball hoops, or do you have a variety of products?
1: Actually, we don't even sell basketball hoops anymore because they've become so commoditized, it's hard to make money. Uh, But we, we sell mostly home fitness and home rec equipment now.
2: They started making bocce ball sets, foosball tables, air hockey tables. The business continued to grow. Jason said his Marine Corps training actually came in pretty handy, since the Marines teach you to adapt and adjust and use resources wisely. Today they have about 10 people who work from home in the U.S. and another 18 people in an office in Manila. Those people mostly do data entry, graphic design. They work a lot with the images. Images are a really important part of selling on Amazon since, you know, people aren't standing in front of the product before they buy it. Every year, Jason sells tens of millions of dollars in inventory on Amazon. But that success has a price. A big hazard of doing business on Amazon is that changes can come quickly without warning, meaning what worked yesterday suddenly doesn't work today. That gives sellers a lot of indigestion.
1: What always makes me crazy about Amazon is I know that they're making these changes because they're doing what is best for their customer. This change made the, the customer experience for an Amazon customer better. I don't dispute that. But what would have been nice is an email six months earlier saying, hey, we're going to make this change. You guys' metrics are kind of in the gray area. You might want to change your business model. It's uh, really There's no communication. They just make these changes, and it, could, it can put people out of business.
2: I asked Jason to give me an example of what he meant by that. He said several years ago, Amazon started pushing sellers to deliver their goods more quickly. So it was rewarding sellers who could manage two-day shipment and punishing sellers for delays or mistakes on orders. And this hit Jason really hard, mainly because he's selling basketball hoops, which are so large and heavy. It's not like, you know, you can just put in a mailbox like a phone charger. As a result, he ended up changing his entire business model.
1: My life got infinitely more complicated when I had to start inventorying these things myself. That was like a big, that was like the biggest change that affected us. We had to cut millions of dollars in revenue from our dropshippers at that moment.
2: That was in in 2016. 2016. And so did you have to shift from a dropship model to a new
1: model? We did, we had to shift to an all inventory model. Up to this point,
2: every time Amazon made a change, sellers like Jason would race to adjust. Sellers understood that even though it was tough for them to meet the new standards, the changes were good for customers which is good for Amazon, and in turn, good for their businesses. But some of Amazon's more recent changes have made sellers doubt that idea, since the costs primarily fall to them, and the gains go to Amazon. One change that Jason still struggles with is Amazon's decision to introduce advertising.
1: The day that they launched sponsored ads, I I cried in my pillow that night.
2: I should explain here, Jason's so upset because he's seen this movie before, Google changed its system before Amazon did and started charging for results to appear at the top of the results page. What this means is this. If you go to Google and search for something like weather or traffic conditions, you'll get mostly what's called organic results. Sites like weather.com that are visited frequently and provide the information you want. But if you search for a product, like black dress socks... The top of the page will be sponsored results. Businesses that paid to be there rather than businesses known to have what you are looking for. Then when people see your ads and click to your site, that improves your organic ranking. So the two are intertwined. When Google did this, the price for keyword searches got bid up higher and higher because let's face it, nobody looks at page seven of the search results. So it is essential to have high search placement to get noticed. And that's what started happening on Amazon too.
1: Initially the costs were cheap and we're like, we're not doing that. We're not going to pay them X percent for every sale. And on top of that, drive traffic because we've got these great organic listings. But then they started to move the top two-thirds, the -the above-the-fold section when you go on a desktop or your mobile, the whole top of the page is all ads now. So your organic rank is, you have to scroll to get to the organic ranked product. And so that's something I have a real problem with.
2: Now, paying for ads can significantly eat into a seller's margins. All this, Jason says means it's now a lot more expensive to be a seller on Amazon.
1: So I I think that one of the side effects of this sponsored ads program is that prices eventually will have to increase on Amazon. And if there's one thing that keeps Mr. Bezos up at night, is that he wakes up one day and he's not the lowest price anymore. That's that's going to be a problem for them. I think it's because of that bidding process, because of the way that it works, I think that prices are going to have to go up to accommodate those extra fees.
2: Have you had to raise prices on anything? To-
1: we have. We've had to. We've had to.
2: The big thing about the ad program is it means Amazon makes more money from every sale. But this isn't the only change Amazon has made like that. It's also been developing hundreds of its own Amazon branded products. You can get Amazon batteries, Amazon baby wipes, Amazon jeans, Amazon dining room tables, and even an Amazon basics bocce ball set that costs $15 less than the one Jason sells. Amazon can see all the data about what's popular, what sells, which kinds of listings do best. The company gathers an incredible amount of detailed information about customer behavior. And it uses that data when making decisions about how it designs and prices its products. Sellers like Jason can see some, but definitely not all of that data. And that's why this change is what frustrates Jason the most.
1: Look, I understand that they're a retailer, but I've always had sort of a problem with them having a marketplace with all that data, that that I'm dependent on for my business to sell, and that they can then take that data and launch their own products. I I, I have have kind of an issue with that.
2: This question is at the heart of the debate over regulating big tech platforms. Is it fair for companies like Amazon to own and control a marketplace where merchants like Jason sell products and then turn around and sell the very same things, oftentimes giving the Amazon brands more visibility? Here's what Jason said.
1: Do I think they should be broken up? I don't know. That's that's a question for the lawyers. But it sure makes a lot of common sense for me that if you're going to have a marketplace, that your purpose is to help your sellers and your customers. And you, you shouldn't be able to piggyback off the hard work and labor of your sellers to, to beat them, I, I think. Just a general part of fairness in my mind maybe that's unrealistic but they just have so much control and power and data and or or I got another alternative share with me all the data you have so that I can also use that to my advantage so that I can compete better with you Um, so if you're gonna use my data I want to see it all of it
2: after almost 20 years in online retail Jason is in the process of selling his Amazon business it still makes tens of millions of dollars each year in sales. But he's decided he'd rather start a consulting business called Avenue 7 Media. He's going to focus on helping other people sell on Amazon.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, a 1,000 global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at Forum.com.
3: So, Spencer, it sounds like there's at least one Amazon merchant out there that's ready to donate to the Elizabeth Warren presidential campaign. On the other hand, a couple of weeks ago, after Elizabeth Warren unveiled her plans to break up big tech, Jeff Bezos wrote a letter to shareholders in which he essentially gave us his rebuttal to her plan. Uh, According to Bezos, he said that third-party businesses who sell on the platform are doing really well. Uh, Do you think he's taking into account some of the grievances of folks like Jason?
2: Yeah, and I don't think that any of the merchants are disagreeing with anything that he said in that shareholder letter. They freely acknowledge that you know, many of them have been able to build multi-million dollar businesses, you know, virtually overnight, thanks to access to Amazon and its customers. The main point they're making is that over the years, as Amazon has grown and its power has grown, it can really exercise its leverage over them. And that when we look at that, you know, 58% of, of all the sales coming from these merchants, Amazon's taking a bigger and bigger bite out of each and every one of those sales.
3: You know, what Amazon will always say, though, is, of course, is that it's very customer focused. And your profile of Jason, I thought, was interesting. You know, his, the business that he and his brothers run started almost as retail arbitrage, right? They're drop shipping from a factory, probably in China. Eventually, they're slapping their brand on it. Um, they're basically inserting a margin between the the factory and and the customer and the, the Amazon private label business, I mean, in some ways you can look at it as a sort of, you know, increasing the efficiency of the supply chain. They're going to the factories in China, maybe even the same factories that Jason and his brothers used and saying, you can basically sell directly to the customer and we're just going to put an Amazon brand on it, and of course, Amazon would call that being customer focused and helping to uh, to lower the price. And so, I guess you know, in some of these changes to its business model, some of the things that have made Jason and his brother's lives really hard. I mean, can we honestly say that that is in the service of a better customer experience?
2: Yeah, the the private label is a good point, and it's something that other retailers have been doing for decades, right? You see private label products in Walmart, you see them in Target, you see them in supermarkets, and probably the most recent change that the sellers have a beef with is the advertising, because that's the one where, okay, it's costing me more to sell on Amazon. Amazon's getting more of the money from each sale, but where is the consumer benefit in having the prominence go to the highest bidder as opposed to the best product at the best price?
3: Amazon did give us a statement responding to that point. It said the company's first priority with advertising is for the experience to be useful and relevant to the customer. It also said advertiser and customer interests are inherently aligned. Now, Spencer, you talked to a lot of sellers at that conference in addition to Jason. What was the general feel? And did they agree with Jason? And did it seem like sellers were reaching a turning point as it relates to Amazon? You know, sellers are still very devoted to Amazon. They kind of have an attitude of,
2: you know, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. But the frustration is real that Amazon is taking, you know, more and more of their money on every sale.
3: So let's talk about that. Did, did you get into it with any sellers about how their costs have have gone up? Like how much does Amazon take out of every sale?
2: I asked one seller to break that down for me. His name is Chad Rubin. He does about twelve million dollars in sales a year, mostly vacuum cleaner parts and accessories, and he does most of his business on Amazon. Can you can you tell us at all, or even roughly what the erosion was in in your in your margins, or even like a per a percentage you used to give Amazon? You know when you first got started, and what you give them now.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you look at FBA
3: in itself, uh, you're looking at 7%. Then you tack on their 15% commission fee. And then you tack on, uh, let's just say you have a 20% a cost, Back of the envelope, math, that's 42% of
2: a purchase goes to Amazon. And that's not even including the cost of the goods sold. So that clip is full of acronyms. So let's try to translate it to English. If you sell something simply on Amazon's site and You know, that's all that Amazon does is put your product on their site. You pay them a 15% commission. The 7% for FBA is what's called fulfillment by Amazon. That's where you're actually sending inventory to Amazon warehouses. They store it for you. They pack it and ship it when an order comes in. And the headline number, Chad spends 20% on advertising. So that all adds up to 42% to Amazon. And then you have to consider the cost of the product itself, which the merchant bears along with the cost of their own business.
3: So we can compare that to other tech platforms. Apple, of course, takes a 30% commission for all sales made through the App Store, and companies like Spotify have complained about that because they think it's too high. Uber takes around 25% of each ride, and we know how rocky their relationship is with drivers. These, of course, aren't apples to apples comparisons, but it does show that Amazon's 42% take rate is really high. Spencer, how, how does that compare to other relationships between retailers and their suppliers?
2: Yeah, it's it's hard to compare, like you said, the the apples to apples, because if you think of a site like eBay where they're more hands-off in terms of their, you know, logistics where Amazon will actually store the products for you. But the the main thing is that there's really no alternative, that these sellers have to pay what Amazon charges because there's there's really nowhere else to go. They already sell on these sites like eBay and Walmart and you know, Jet before Walmart purchased it. They thought this would be helpful initially and, and make them less reliant on Amazon, but they're, they're learning the opposite is happening.
3: Right. And in, in large parts of the world, Amazon is, is the best option for selling online. So is Amazon reaching the limit of how far they can push sellers? It's a good question. I talked to another
2: seller named Brad Howard. He's also been selling on Amazon for about 20 years. He told me about a time when sellers revolted against Amazon. So Amazon invited a bunch of brands to Seattle, and Apple and Disney were there, and there were hundreds of them gathered in a, in a big conference room. And what was meant to be kind of a, a make nice meeting turned out to this big venting session with all of these brands complaining about fake things on Amazon with their names on it. And when Amazon tried to talk to the sellers about the problem, things really escalated.
3: I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Everyone in the room was raising their hands, screaming at the guy and saying, our listening is getting hijacked, brands are getting crushed, your marketplace is destroying major labels, you guys have no control of this, what the hell is going on? And in that exact moment in time, the world changed, and Amazon put a stake down and, and launched the brand program a few months later. That's fascinating, Spencer. I mean, we've seen news here and there about brands reacting with frustration to Amazon, but I think this is the first I've heard of a sort of revolt in person that set some changes in motion. How did Amazon react? This revolt was supposedly back in like 2013
2: or 14. And we can think of things that came since, like brand registry. And uh, I think Project Zero is the new tool that Amazon is trying to give brands more control and power to report counterfeits on the site.
3: Right. Amazon told us they also have a team of people dedicated to anti-counterfeiting. They said they have software engineers, applied scientists and investigators working on the issue.
2: But it still remains an issue. And let's not forget, Donald Trump even called for an investigation a couple of weeks ago into the proliferation of counterfeits on online marketplaces, including sites like Amazon.
3: So, getting back to this broader question and proposal raised by Elizabeth Warren around an Amazon breakup, do do you have any sense for whether Amazon sellers would actually benefit from that?
2: You know, I spoke with one veteran seller, Alan Gestalter. He's been selling home products on Amazon for nearly twenty years as well, and he started in the uh, mail order business. So he kind of transitioned from a direct mail business to to selling online. He's really benefited from the fulfillment by Amazon model. That's where they. Amazon stores your goods and packs them and delivers them. And he even has benefited from advertising new products. So he really worries about government influence. So it's a devil you know is better than the one you don't kind of thing. I think that you know the government should run the government and the business should run the business. The, the fact that Amazon was able to grow and bring value to the customers and really grow and take over while other people stayed behind is not something that the government should break up or anything or hurt their business model because the, the effect of hurting Amazon's business today is going to affect all of us. And you're talking about
3: tens of millions of jobs. The, the model works. I think the government should stay out of it. And that's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening. If you have a story to share, I'd love to hear it. You can write to us
2: at decrypted at Bloomberg.net or I'm on Twitter at Spencer
3: Soper. And I'm at Bradstone. And please help us spread the word about our new season by leaving us a rating or review in your favorite podcast app.
2: This episode was produced by Pia Gutkari and Lindsay Cradwell. Our story editor was Emily Buso. Thank you also to Anne Vandermeer and Aki Ito. Francesca Levy is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week.